0: You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 224. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Klar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You've reached The Local Maximum. You've reached another Local Maximum. Uh, Finally, a nice day here. I could hear some of the birds outside. Maybe it'll come through on my short intro here. Today, well, first of all, we talked a lot about cryptocurrencies on the show it's a recurring theme uh in terms of emerging technology obviously i'm really into it very important particularly bitcoin sometimes ethereum if you remember going back we talked about smart contracts a lot and um i know i've been very bitcoin centric as of late so i want to talk to someone who is actually using crypto on a day-to-day basis and is using alternatives like dash for which he has found uh, very good reasons so uh I want to know what it's like to use crypto on a day-to-day basis and how the technical development around it has changed uh, that experience and has changed in general. So my next guest has been living off crypto since 2016. Let's pull it up. Joel Valenzuela, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It feels um, the air is kind of thin up here, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's exciting. I have not had an in person. Mm -hmm. I mean, Aaron comes here a lot. Yeah, but uh, I have not had someone in person on the podcast uh, for a very long time. Uh, I think I've had maybe one or two uh, since the pandemic, Mm -hmm. uh, except for Aaron. So, uh, so this is a very, very exciting milestone indeed. We have a bunch of things to talk about today. Mm. Uh, I I, well, we need to get your background a little bit because you know. I know that you're living off crypto. Lots of interesting stories there, but I mean that, that can't be the the start of the story. And I don't want to go all the way back and do like three hours of backstory, so I don't know where to start. But um, you've also lived a bunch of places. You've moved to New Hampshire. Seems like New Hampshire is working out for you with crypto. So where do you want to where do you want to start this? Where uh, um, um, let's say how did you how did you get into crypto to begin with, and what brought you to New Hampshire?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a the good, like, 10, maybe 15 max, like, backstory yeah, type yeah, yeah. thing. The the Batman super sto- superhero origin story, as it exactly. were. Exactly. So I grew up in a cattle ranch in Mexico. My parents were Silicon Valley yuppies, and my dad worked at Hewlett Packard, and my mom owned, owned, was a journalist, owned their own newspaper, and then they decided they wanted to become cattle ranchers in Mexico. I'm half Mexican. That's where I grew up until I was, like, 16, homeschooled the whole way. And then since from ages like 16 to 26, I basically traveled around. I lived in France for a little bit, got my master's in Europe, I mean, uh, England, and I so worked in D.C. Yes. I, sorry. I have
0: a question that wasn't asked and it's, it came to mind. Like, yes, so one of your parents is from Mexico and the other one, the, the, uh, they convinced the other one to come down there and do cattle ranching? Well, yeah.
1: So basically both of my parents were born in the U.S., but my dad's okay. Mexican.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And like, you know, ethnically, I guess, 100%. If that that's even a thing. It's all there is no such thing as ethnically Mexican. Well, that's obviously, a it's a lot easier to go to Mexico yeah.
0: and do this if you have a Mexican background. Yes. I would think
1: it, it was my like my dad's family's ranch that they wanted him to come run. And, right. Okay. And it was an inheritance, so rather than just sell it, he was like, you know what, I might as well just change careers, and so that's kind of how it worked out.
0: Okay. So that's um, that's a very big change.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was before it was cool. It's very cool now, where it's like, oh, I'm just gonna like grow my own food, all this kind of stuff, and so. Yeah. Um,
0: but they don't, they usually don't go to Mexico. They usually just go to like, I don't know, somewhere in California.
1: Yeah. Or just down the road. Yeah. <laughs> down the road. <laughs> that kind of thing. On the roof of the Community building. Community garden. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. So it's basically, I kind of had like a, a I was in the not political nonprofit scene, like the think tank world in development or, you know, as, it's very different from, you know, the development kind of stuff maybe in your world it's like fundraising basically so yeah. i worked in dc for a while did all that kind of stuff and then eventually you always came from a what i should call a what i like to call like a ron paul conservative point of view meaning very close to like modern libertarian but still like some misgivings on you know certain things on you know the role of government or whatever and since then i've gotten a lot more you know open-ended pro-liberty or whatever. But in that whole thing was always this knowledge. Like as soon as you're like, I'm like a kid and I'm learning how money works. So where, how, where'd money come from? You hear like history of money with barter and then, okay, well then you have little rocks or apples that you trade instead. And then eventually you use gold and you get coins. And then, and then like, that's all explained. And all of a sudden paper money. And in my mind, there's this gap. Like how did we get from paper representations of, you know, gold which was money yeah then just like just the paper like i didn't i never got that gap that jump
0: right i'm sure it could be filled in right you could probably give us the brief it used to be representations of gold right so and and at what point did it stop i mean you could say Mm -hmm. completely in the in the 70s but yeah several steps between then and
1: yeah and so that history was always kind of like i always knew about that like as a teenager and stuff and well, everybody
0: is it's complicated you don't really talk about it very much yeah, people well, just, money just works.
1: They just don't know what it is. Yeah, and so I was always kind of in the back of my mind, like I knew a lot of people, especially in like libertarian think tank circles, talking about all oh, sound money. We should go back to the gold standard about all this kind of stuff. And it's always like theoretical, and then they just like and with no realism of getting to that. And I was like, well, how can I start doing that today? You know. And other than hoarding gold coins and stuff. And so that's a, like a great yeah. setup. To, to where Some I people do today. hoard gold coins,
0: but yeah. yeah.
1: And then still swipe their card at their, you know, whatever. Sure, sure, sure. And so it was somewhere around uh, 2011, 2012. I started following the Free State Project because literally I just, I was living in Phoenix. I wasn't really happy with where I was or what I was doing. And I thought I want to move somewhere, go somewhere else, start a new life kind of thing. And I'm looking for any like pro-liberty think tanks around the world I could work at. And so I went to the Atlas Economic Research Foundation's compendium of global free market think tanks. And anywhere that was hiring, like I applied, I didn't care if it was in Lima or New Delhi or wherever else. I was just like, I want to do that. And then I came across one in New Hampshire, which yeah, I always like the East Coast better than, you know, the West Coast or whatever, the vibe. And then, oh, there's this thing called the Free State Project. Are they hiring? No. And Next. Right, But then I bookmarked, you know, I followed the, the Facebook page, followed what was going on. And over time, that started to seep in. I'm like, wow, they're doing a bunch of cool stuff there. And it was, as ever, I'm sure this has been a catalyst for a lot of people's move. But when uh, Keene State Rep uh, Cynthia Chase said that free staters were the single biggest threat to the state in her eyes, and that she, she had, was going to seek limiting their freedoms as much as possible so they would just go away, I, I was like, this is incredible. Like this level of pushback means there's some sort of a success thing. I have to get th- think, I have to yeah. get there now before there's no freedom left to like get. So within nine months from it that seems, moment. It also seems I, like an odd yeah.
0: strategy, right? We're gonna uh we're gonna give them what they don't want. The problem is they're coming here because this is where you get mm-hmm. more liberty. So what do you like it, it's it's almost going against the grain. Yeah. Right?
1: Well that was it. Like I just saw that something was happening here and anyone who's been in the old school political scene and has been trying to vote for more Liberty has had a rough go of things the last generation or two. I mean, it's just not been going that well on the macro level and just to see anything resembling success just made my eyes light up. And so within nine months I was, you know, packed all my stuff and just moved out there and or out here, I should say. Yeah. And, uh, along the kind of time i already knew i heard about bitcoin and crypto and i think in like the very beginning of 2013 there were some like articles i wrote that were about mm-hmm. that i kind of could have sworn i heard about it later but apparently not i was still trying to get like what well, peter schiff was offering this like gold backed debit card thing at the right, time right, right and i was like i want to get one of those and it was like only u.s citizens i was like ha, good thing i'm a dual citizen i'm gonna and i was like right. in the process of trying to do that when i came you know in face-to-face with crypto, and then I just kind of gave up on that.
0: Peter Schiff was so interesting in, like, sort of liberty circles in around 2012, because yeah. that was the year that he went to Occupy Wall Street and did that whole, uh, mm. you know, uh, discussion with people down there. And now I just see him in crypto <laughs> debates, which are, you know, it's a, a bit of a different flavor there. Mm. And I don't know. We don't need to necessarily get into that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so, okay, so so, right, so you moved here before you got into crypto, and I'm sure people, so, mm-hmm. did you Did you get into it from people here? And and...
1: yeah, so, I mean, I already knew about it and was a fan of it and all that kind of stuff. Apparently my memory was a little bit hazy, but I just recently looked back and I was tweeting about it in like late 2012, early 2013, Yeah, but it was on the way through on the the drive from Phoenix to Manchester that I stopped in Chicago and a a friend was there and we had lunch and he paid for his part of the pizza and Bitcoin. He's like, wow, I send you some Bitcoin. I'm like, awesome.
0: Yeah, that's where
1: I got my first Bitcoin for pizza. You know, fittingly enough. Yeah, and then it was like it's like fifteen dollars worth of Bitcoin at the time, and then by the end of twenty thirteen, that was worth like easily one hundred and fifty. As the big spike happened there, yeah, it was like a run up
0: from. Well, that wasn't even like the run up from a hundred to to a thousand. You probably got it it early twenty thirteen. It would have been like. Tens of dollars. (laughs) Yeah, this was like
1: September, so it was like one thirty or something. Oh, okay, okay. So it wasn't quite. It wasn't quite that that stratospheric, but it was still. This is ten x. And then it was all the way down. But since that moment, even though I was doing other things, I still was trying to use this as much as possible. Anytime we go out to eat with a bunch of friends, like, oh, I'll take the bill and everyone else pays in Bitcoin or whatever, and buying things with Bitcoin, it was like, you know, very. It's very much kind of a thing. And then in like the spring of twenty fourteen. Um, like I was, you know, giving rides to people like gypsy cab style from Liberty Forum at the airport, uh, this local, you know, event that takes place. Right. It was in Nashua at oh, the yeah. time. Oh yeah. I was there this year. Yeah. It was in Nashua in 2014 at okay. the Radisson hotel there, I believe. And so I was giving people rides to and from like the airport and stuff. And they're only taking, only taking Bitcoin. Although, I believe Ian Freeman did pay me in $2 bills one time, but that's <laughs> such an Ian Freeman thing. Yes. But so basically anything I could. The other sound money. Yeah. <laughs> $2 bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but basically whatever I could to take, you know, to use what I could. And then the first Porky Fine Freedom Festival or Pork Fest I attended was also in 2014. And that week I did not pack any dollars. I only had Bitcoin and I just spent it the entire week. Everywhere. This is 2014, right? Very right. long time ago. Yeah. Or eight years ago, I guess.
0: I know, but it's 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 crazy to think that was eight years ago. Yeah.
1: yeah And it's funny because I could spend it everywhere there, except for like one or two places, and there I just used it to buy some silver pieces that then I used to buy the thing I wanted. So right. It still was like a it was still like a sound money experience. You know? They're very
0: much uh, yeah. I, I remember listening uh, to a report on Pork Fest. I think it was from Planet Money, mm-hmm. like pre-crypto, maybe 2011, 2009, something like that, where it was all, people were just using uh, Mm -hmm. silver and gold to buy things at that event. And I thought, whoa, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. And then of course it turned into, you know, digital gold and silver. And then it was, that was 2014. And I kind of did on and off stuff, but then it wasn't, you know, I worked part time for, you know, a political nonprofit in town and in in the state, but it wasn't until like the end of 2015 where I started to feel like, You know what, like I'm starting to get a little like antsy, like I'm starting to get really into this crypto stuff. Right. But at the same time, I'm starting to get a little like I've told a lot of people about it and I'm starting to feel like the the burden of my recommendation is on my shoulders, you know? Really? And also,
0: so 2015, Mm -hmm. I don't know if this affected you, but that was in the middle of like the biggest winter. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, was, the biggest crypto winter, not actual winter. I think that actual winter was pretty bad, too. Yeah, but, the 2013-14 uh, yeah,
1: winter, yeah. winter was bad. But yeah. it was like 2014-15 was around the bottom of the bear market.
0: Right, right. So you're still in there, and mm-hmm. you're kind of thinking, okay, what's going to happen now?
1: Yeah, I didn't really—it's funny because, like, future bear markets were always a little bit, like, tough. But that one wasn't—because I didn't really have a lot of crypto at the time— and I just like, oh, wow, went up. And then when it went, like, I remember, like, Bitcoin at, like, $100, basically, or 130 And it never went anywhere close to quite that far down again. So I'm just right. like, I was never worried. But it was this whole, like, right. well, I tell people, be your own bank. That was a big thing that people were saying at the time. And I was like, can you be your own bank, though? I think, but I don't know. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to just try it out. And so I just said, you know what, I'm... Could quit my job? I'm going to only take work that pays me in Bitcoin and see what happens.
0: (laughs) So that's so obviously that would be very interesting for, let's say, a software engineer. Like, I don't know if and you'd think that tech would be up on this, but like there's no way they would make an exception and pay you in Bitcoin. Like you have to have a bank account uh, Mm -hmm. in order to work anywhere um, unless it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So so that did that really limit your options and where to work?
1: I mean, I guess the thing is, like, it's one of those, like, stupid, the best stupid decisions of my life kind of thing where just, like, when I moved to New Hampshire, just because I thought cool stuff was happening here, didn't have any friends, didn't have any, like, jobs lined up, like, I just moved to, like, figure it out, and it worked great. Yeah. It's another really stupid decision to just, like, quit everything and work for this, like, imaginary money nonsense. And like, not, yeah. but it worked out great.
0: Stupid, but not at all stupid. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, I got started writing for Cointelegraph, which is a, you know, it's one of the major crypto news publications now and was then too, but, you know, it was still, it's still gotten quite big now. And so they would pay you in Bitcoin. And then I did some work for some other, um, like I did some work in early 2016 for library uh, way back. And that was just very brief. Yes. And actually, the
0: the other person who's been live in the studio is Jeremy Kaufman from library. Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah. So back in the day, I did that and then did some other random jobs and other things like that. And it was until I still had a bank account, though, and like I'd spend everything I could every time I needed to do anything with Bitcoin. I just do that. And any then I would when it came to rent, I was trying to sell my landlord at the time. I have paid rent in Bitcoin before, crypto before, but the one at the time where I was living, that he wasn't quite quite on it yet. He liked it, but he wasn't on to it yet. Like right, while I was convincing him, I but it is it, it, yeah. it's
0: good that it was like an individual and yeah. not a company. Like like this building is a company, so that would probably be harder to convince.
1: Yeah, it it was still possible. I could have probably gotten him to it if I had stayed there longer. But mm. uh, then I was still using my bank account to cash out whatever I need for rent and right. do that. But I'd still keep it all in Bitcoin and then do that.
0: So it sounds like you're moving into it step by step.
1: Yeah, well, that was the step that, I mean, my step was that's all I want to earn, right? I just want to earn and hold. That's my entire store, wealth, and source of income. And I just figure out how to use it since after that. But it wasn't until, it was like around May, I think, of of 2016, that someone just fraudulently cleaned out my bank account right before I was going to pay rent. Like someone, someone like...
0: So not, so... This is what people are, are afraid of happening with Bitcoin, but this happened with your bank account.
1: Yeah just someone must have found some deposit slip somewhere or and then we ended up getting it rectified and but the thing is when you saw yeah. the like what it just some random person scribbled something, not even remotely my name or my signature or anything. It's just like, how do you get someone who just like doodles on a piece of paper, and then they just own all my money now? I mean, it's like, happened.
0: I, I mean, yeah. it hasn't happened to uh, t- to me, fortunately, but I mean, I, I definitely know people have had. I've definitely had the credit. You know, everyone's had the credit card taken, and then all of a sudden there are these charges on it, and you're like, well, what's this from? And yeah, so uh, maybe similar to that. But that's scary <laughs> but that it's actually your account your is being. Yeah.
1: At least they get your number. Yeah. This is like someone just like scrawled on some piece of paper and just like, hey, like, they don't, don't you have to have ID to like withdraw stuff? And it's just like, what the hell? And then, but anyway, they just said, Oh, we're going to close your bank account and reopen you a new one. I'm like, okay, we'll just hold off on the reopen thing. And so I just like walked Hmm. away with, with with whatever cash I had left in there. And it was like,
0: Well, did they eventually resolve it? Like, did they eventually get your money yeah, back? Yeah, they did get it back. Yeah.
1: They did get it back. And then they're like, well, for security reasons, we have to close it and start a new one. So gotcha. I said, just hold off on starting the new one. And I just yeah. never went back. <laughs> so okay. that was, then I was like, oh, now I'm unbanked. Yeah. And that's a whole new world of like so you, complexity. How do, so wait, how do
0: you have your income in, in Bitcoin?
1: Though, so, so back then it was, I would just post, I had a Bitcoin address in a spreadsheet that yeah. they use. I, I, I don't know what their accounting practices are like. No, but now. like
0: what job would pay... So I was
1: a crypto journalist. That's what I was like. A journalist oh, okay. In the oh, right. For, so like a coin telegraph. Yeah. So that's what I, that, okay. I would right. do like copywriting and stuff for library. Yeah. Some of those early library blog posts that are yeah. Samuel Clemens or whatever name uh-huh. that they have in there was actually yeah. like mostly me. And then okay. Okay. So there's a couple of those. Gotcha. gotcha. And then gotcha. I did the, for the old school people might remember the Bitcoin, Bigfoot flyers. Mm-hmm. I wrote the copy for those. I just did a bunch of like random things. I even like, Helped fix up someone's barn, like did some manual labor for like Bitcoin back in the day, too. Like, I did a bunch of things, right?
0: right? Okay, so, so you figured out a way to get your income in Bitcoin, and then you figured out a way to pay your rent in Bitcoin. Yeah, that's, for, that sounds like that's most of the
1: yeah, the and so it's just all the in betweens. It got really like so. Obviously, the big thing was he used this website called Purse, which still exists today purse.io. Um, hit me up for a referral code. Just kidding, I don't have a referral code, but whatever. Uh, basically lets you people buy stuff on amazon for you and ship it to your house and you pay them in bitcoin for it and that like you get a significant discount sometimes like five percent i think is the minimum but you, some people have gotten as high as like 40 percent. so what can't you get off of amazon so that was like most things and then there's a few little gift card apps where you could like keep like a tally like you know of a, a gift card and then kind of do that to pay for things And they're very advanced today, but they were very primitive back then. And then the last little thing was they had these like – part of my thing is like uh, for – I don't know if everyone's familiar with the term KYC, but if you're a financial institution, you have to enforce uh, AML KYC or anti-money laundering, know your customer regulations, which basically means you need someone's ID and their their actual – their physical identity and their everything in order to transact. That's why when
0: you sign up for a lot of these crypto wallets, uh, Mm -hmm. you have to take pictures of your Mm -hmm. um, driver's license.
1: Yeah. And so like I never did that with crypto because while I was living this, I wasn't doing a smart lifestyle. This wasn't like I'm doing this because it seems like the smartest thing to do at this juncture in my life. I was living an experiment, right? And so I figured if I'm not going to have a bank, but I'm going to get a crypto bank, does that really count? So I was like, well, let's see what I can do without that. The whole be your own bank, permissionless money, all that kind of stuff. So there were a few of these like prepaid crypto debit cards that would ask for your ID once you hit like a five thousand dollar total spend limit. And then the regulations changed; it went down to like twenty five hundred, and then went down to like a thousand, and then they got rid of them eventually. But mm-hmm. while they were there, like I had like three of them that I was just like. Like burning yep. through. So I was going to
0: ask, like, what if, like, what if I wanted to like, just go mm-hmm. to the mall here and walk around and maybe buy a few things, uh, you know, the bookstore, buy a book, like uh, you would mm-hmm. use one of those debit cards.
1: Yeah. For some things, um, because they were so limited, I would tend to, you know, use those for only the things I really needed to. Yeah. But, um, you could get gift cards. I could like buy a gift card. Like say, I'm going to go get some jeans at American Eagle. I could just buy a right, $25, right. $50 e gift card with crypto. And then I walk all over there, and here you go, and I'd do that, yeah. and the rest in cash or whatever else I had. And
0: but what you if know. you needed to make like a uh, a, a spur of the moment uh, purchase? Yeah, or maybe it helped uh, not do that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it be being more complicated. Yeah. What really started to come more complicated was towards the end of 2016. For I don't people who haven't been using crypto this whole time won't maybe be fully familiar, but. Everyone remembers the late 2017 block size wars in Bitcoin, where it was like, oh, people are fighting over which is the the, the real Bitcoin, all that kind of stuff. But that started affecting me in 2016. Like, before, I could go to someplace, buy a gift card, and I'd get it pretty much quick, like, instantly, or very much instantly. But then they started uh, implementing, like, confirmation. When when they kind of understood the tech more, they said, you need one blockchain confirmation, which is 10 minutes for Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, so it doesn't sound so bad,
1: but then it wasn't ten minutes. It was like twenty, thirty, forty minutes. So like I was, I have, I have like scarring yeah. memories, like walking around the shopping mall for like an hour waiting for a transaction to clear before I can like get the gift card and like walk back in. Yeah, and like, some of
0: those can take a while.
1: And so it was. It started to become really difficult to continue to live on Bitcoin. And towards the end of the year, I was like, you know what? I gotta. I can't do this anymore. And so. Hey, do I stop what I'm doing? Do I just go back and get a bank account again and do all this stuff? Or do I find a different path? And so I thought, I'm going to try to keep doing it, just switch cryptos. And at the time, you got like, um, it was Bitcoin. And then after that was Ethereum, which is still very fast and cheap, which is a joke today. (laughs) Okay. Considering that it was very fast and cheap at the time, but it wasn't used as money. So like, I didn't care. And then, you know, Litecoin was nowhere near any kind of relevance, which... I'd argue probably the same thing today, but like it was. That a, used to
0: be the number two for yeah, a while. Yeah, it was a, at a,
1: that point, it was abandoned. Like, really? It was completely abandoned in like late 2016. Like, no one was using it at all. Yeah. And then Bitcoin Cash didn't exist for a, a year later. And so, and,
0: and Litecoin is still like chugging along though it's like kind of right it, yeah i mean it's still on that like top maybe top it's not 20?
1: it's in the top 20, yeah probably I probably i mean it, it's funny because like next if you release this like a week too late it might be yeah. something completely different you know the way yeah crypto no, markets no no no, no. i i, I, I yeah. want to hear more about your
0: start because because you're yeah. narrowing down on coins too but i also want to listen hear about like what's our you know what's happening with all these coins on the market? Why do they stick around? Why mm-hmm. do some dots have some actually died? But yeah, why, why don't mm-hmm. we keep going in terms of like what you were doing at the time in 2016, try to figure out yeah. which, what to use.
1: Yeah. So well, I just went down the list and yeah. the first one I stopped on that I could try to use was something called dash, which used to be called dark coin back in like 2014. And then since rebranded a dash. And so I just, there was some bumps like in the transition because as a not super well-adopted coin at the time, there was like half the things I could pay for with Bitcoin, I could pay directly to Dash. But the other half, there was this, this company called Shapeshift, which is still around in a very different form, but they had a little widget on a lot of these sites where you could enable pay with any coin you want, and it would just auto-shift into Bitcoin in the back end. Mm. And so I did like... So I basically got to resume my life the way I was, my like unbanked crypto life, except half of the time I'd have to go through this like shapeshift thing. And, it, but then since then it got a lot easier. And then in the last, like a couple of years ago, it got, or a year or two ago, I guess it got um, easier than living on Bitcoin. Besides the whole like network issues and all like the actual thing, as far as like where I can spend it, I can spend more places I can spend Bitcoin. And now it's kind of like more evening out, but, or it was until, you know, there's some you know recent advancements that's made it like super easy now
0: but, um, to dash. Yeah. So what would you say is like the main like technical differences between Dash and Bitcoin?
1: Yeah. So the main I'll, the, I'll start with the main technical difference that made it more attractive at the moment at that time was right. purely a commitment to scale the blockchain on chain to make the blocks bigger. So the blocks okay. are just. The transaction capacity. And in Bitcoin, they're artificially restricted. They're not restricted at like, it, not like errors and problems happening. They're just limited to one megabyte worth of data. Right. And so the dash blocks are, I believe, two megabytes right now, but come out at. Four times the rate, so it's like eight times transaction capacity today. Right, and with a commitment to raise them as needed. It's just there's not now, that much.
0: Eight times the transaction capacity, but are less yes. people using Dash today than Bitcoin. I believe so, so yeah. So it, it, it's 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 there was also even, that like right. there's
1: also that like woo I get to skip back a few years in terms of like you know congestion or whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. But that, that was the reason for changing, but the main technical differences. I mean, I guess I'm walking back from the from the exact decision for my personal decision right Right. like the first thing the obvious thing is less congestion there still isn't congestion and there will probably never be congestion of course you know famous last words the second thing is how would we get there bitcoin doesn't have a governance structure there's no way of it making decisions it's it's kind of a rudimentary governance structure so it ended up being that's where the block size war happened where people just argued and fought and said, no, everyone wants this. No, everyone wants this. No, the miners signal for this. Ah, that's not it, but the user is this. And there was just, there's no neat way of solving, which is, which way are we going? And what happened at the end is it, it didn't get solved. It just, Bitcoin did its own thing. Then Bitcoin cash split off and then split off and then split off. You know, but that's a yeah. different story. But like, it just, it just, I remember like a, that that was very
0: inconvenient for uh, people holding it. Cause oh, now yeah. all of a sudden you have multiple coins. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, you're like, hey, I just uh, my coin just laid an egg. Somebody yeah, laid, for- <laughs> laid a taxable egg. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. problem. It just gets so <laughs> yeah, annoying. Yeah. yeah, but you can you can yeah. make money off of it. It's
1: so Dash has a governance structure, which basically means the holders get to have an actual vote on the protocol level. Yeah. And they did vote to pursue an, a big block scaling strategy. And it, there you go. So now there's no argument. It's just going to go that yeah. way. So, so
0: is this sort of a similar scaling strategy to Bitcoin cash or would you say it's, there's different Yeah,
1: basically. And um, I guess Bitcoin SV is kind of the, you know, again I don't know how relevant it's going to be in the future, but it's yeah. kind of like the extreme end of that, of make the box as big as possible, push as much traffic through there as big as possible. And kind of like, you know, I wouldn't say recklessly is the word, but maybe like if, if, if it doesn't run smoothly, I don't care, but... Whatever, it's like the thing is like it's so funny how, how this became such a political, a crypto political movement on either side because it's just about like a different approach to making sure everyone can use it. And off chain scaling or L two scaling, like layer two scaling or whatever else is just a different way of doing kind of the same thing with right. its own trade-offs and
0: talk about the lightning network. Cause yeah, you know, we did well, an episode about, yeah, we could go on yeah. that too, but we like, can,
1: yeah, it's funny cause it's been, it's been kind of like, it's just like when people say people of color or ethnic minorities or whatever, there's like very few that you're actually thinking of when you hear that term, even though the term actually encompasses lots of people it's the same thing. It's like inner cities, like you never think about like white people in inner cities, for example, like the automatic thought process. Same thing with scaling. Lightning is just what everyone thinks of, but that's not the only like off-chain or whatever other scaling thing. Okay. But so basically just the commitment. Well, it's interesting because that's what I
0: think of. So I'd like to know what else, uh, what else I should be thinking about that I'm not thinking about.
1: Yeah, well, um, it's basically like everything has, everything kind of has its limits. The thing about, second layers is if you push something onto a second layer um, first off you always have to contend with the first layer to get to the second layer and so if you you have to have a functional first layer for the second layer to function as well and the second layer depending on what kind of system it is it has its own kind of you know drawbacks and whatever else and so I, i like to think of like In my personal opinion, the smart move with first and second layers is segregate traffic types, like transaction types to them. Like say if you're, if we're only talking financial transactions, not even data, I would say like layer one is like payments and your most payments and stuff. And layer two is like microtransactions, like little things back and forth or like, you know, like let's say if I wanted to um, start a tab. I would open up a channel with someone, like a lightning channel with someone. It, it, and you don't really even need to do that it, unless, you know, I think there's pl- plenty enough scaling capacity long term. You don't, wouldn't even need, need to do that. But just for argument's sake, and like every drink you buy, you push another little one on the other end of the lightning channel. Sure, And sure. then you just settle you up. But it's not like, okay, your money is all on this series of interconnected tabs. And you're just trying to push it all over the place to make all your purchases, and only when you move it from your vault, it kind of becomes a little like, like which way do you scale? It's like, well, scale what? Which transaction types? And so, for example, Ethereum is another interesting example where all the money is on L1, Or, right. or all the money is on L1, but then all the data is on the first layer too. And it just becomes right really congested. So and- I can,
0: so we talked yeah. about how, how lightning works on, mm-hmm. I actually don't think we got into the, t- it's hard to do it on audio format yeah. to describe how, how lightning works, but um, I can wrap my head around how lightning works. Sending, you know, cryptographic messages in order to get um, mm-hmm. in order to get like, you know, something like a transaction between us, but to do the, the smart contract thing mm-hmm. over those channels, I, has that even been, has anyone tried to figure that out? Is that something that like, have you ever, yeah. I've never heard of
1: it. So, well, and if we're just talking lightning specifically, right? the thing is like, the other thing is Bitcoin is constrained by the never hard fork again, um, <laughs> kind of ethos and hard forks basically well, are, are breaking changes, a change right. where your software won't work unless you upgrade and everything else uh, hard forks. Bitcoin, BTC, Bitcoin doesn't. And there's good reasons for that. And there's, I think, a lot of bad reasons for it too. But the reality is then you're constrained by the innovation you can build on top of that because of that. And so, like, for example, if I were to design a second layer, right, you have like your first blockchain layer, which is, you know, the entire network sees it. It's, you know, highly secure, highly decentralized, all this kind of other stuff. What I would do is have like a basically like, you know, a bridge over to a side chain that's much basically like another blockchain that's like similar but like very much more lightweight, not nearly as permanent. Like it gets pruned every once in a while, right? And it's just like very fast confirmation times, all that kind of stuff. And then you just move your 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 slow money into your fat into the fast money pocket, transact, and that's fine. That's how I would have designed it. Which, as far as I know, would be a little bit tricky to do natively on bitcoin. The problem with the way lightning network works is it's a interconnected web of two-way payment channels. So I can't just put my money onto lightning. I have to put my money into a channel with you. And I can't send it to anyone else unless I send it over to you and you push it over to him, right. et cetera, et cetera. I was going to say,
0: can't you open a channel with yourself? And like you can, but then you can only transact between yeah. these two. And so if you yeah. want to
1: receive money on lightning, someone yeah. has to lock up money pointed only at you or no one can send you money. right? And it just, so as you can imagine in like a, like a, like a graph, if I, if I want to send something to like someone who's like five hops away from you, I sent to you to blah, blah, blah. And then the end person is five hops away. Yeah. It obviously routes through that thing if it can find a route. But then the lowest amount of liquidity on that route is the weakest link. So if someone only has $20 in transaction capacity, I send $20 through. Now I have to find a new route the next time I send through or someone has to push money back through. Right. And it just, it starts, you can just instantly imagine stuff starts breaking. Like routes start, it starts not routing payments. You have to rebalance your liquidity. You have to do this. it's just this endlessly complicated kind of system that's born out of this. That it doesn't need to be that way, except for again, prioritizing for never hard fork, and all these payments have to be on the second chain, on the second layer, you know.
0: Yeah. So, so I want to come back to this. I want to talk about like scaling on, on layer one and, mm-hmm. and, and w- what the trade-offs are on that. But w- but before we get into that, like what do you use today? Are you still on Dash mostly? And yes. um, are you looking at anything else or, or is that so been I, working f- uh, for you the best in terms of like you're living your day to day life on?
1: Yes. So from 20, late 2016, maybe early 2017 to late 2019, I worked like full time for Dash not for the main development group, but just myself and some other people started our own group that was funded under the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Basically, we just submitted a proposal to the network, the Greater Global Network, and they approved it. And so we did that for a while. And what what was it? So it was a group called Dash Force, which started as like a community energizer thing. Then we ended up doing like a news site and podcasts and all this kind of stuff like media Oh, that's pretty cool. So you
0: got paid to create content in Dash
1: yeah and That's so nice. paid and it's kind of funny because like um the entire time unbanked but like my partner did have a bank account and he, he when he tried to like cash out sometimes he'd get asked weird questions like hey where'd the money come from and they'd be like fr- like because literally the money we got was had no transaction history because it was created every month right like it was part of the coin getting created every month it would just Right drop so- out of the sky <laughs> yeah. And end up in our lab. No yeah. central. It's like, where, who paid you? Well, the sky did. It's like, it's kind of <laughs> really cool, but like complicated to explain to people. Well,
0: it, it, someone, pe- mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the DAO that you talked about, yeah. the, the decentralized organization. I mean, wouldn't you say it came from that? I mean, yeah. I guess that you can, but you have to explain that. And, yeah. You know,
1: yeah. And it gets a little like, the, and it's such a raw thing because like every month there's a super block or like a big block with like 10% of all the coins that are created in that time period just come out all at once to whoever gets the most votes according to you know this the governance system. And it just gets created, goes right there. Hmm. And it's a very like raw and decentralized kind of a way. Now for a contrast, you know, we're going to maybe get some hate for saying stuff like this, but it is it is what it is. Decred is a similar project to Dash. And I think they've they've had some interesting innovations in governance and things like that that Dash has not done. Right, it's so I I kind of view them as like a kind of like Florida and New Hampshire, both like pretty free states, but in like very different in different ways in a lot of ways. So I kind of I view that the way their treasury worked for the longest time is every month some money would go into a pot, and a group of people controlled the pot. And they were and you had to trust an individual to honor that agreement and just say, whoever got the most votes, all right, we will manually pay them. And I believe they decentralized control over that, but it's still not as raw as like the it came from the sky and no one can no human being can stop it kind of thing, you know? Right, right. So to answer the kind of that long question, like so during that time entire all my income was in Dash. Uh since 2019, I've done some work here and there for Dash, but done a lot of work outside of it too. It's still the primary money I use because of the usefulness. So mo- most places that accept crypto, especially here in New Hampshire, take you know Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Dash. Sometimes like and don't really use Litecoin now. Dogecoins yeah. pop back up here and there, but like, do you ever use
0: like Ethereum or do they Lightning? No, no one uses. Well, there's
1: a, a few people that use like actual establishments. Very few people use yeah. Lightning around here. It just the technical overhead is so much more difficult. Hmm. So almost all cryptocurrencies or almost all the cryptocurrencies that are used to pay for things are code forks of Bitcoin in some way, Dash included. So it's like a very same, it's kind of like a romance language where it's just like, all right, it's all basically the same, but these are the differences. And whereas like Lightning is a completely different, like Ethereum is not a Bitcoin fork. But it, it's similar. It still uses enough of the same kind of architecture. Right. Lightning is just so radically different and has so many more like technical and setup costs that just tends to not be supported except by larger institutions and things. But so basically I could spend Dash anywhere I could spend Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin around here locally yeah. and for major services and things. But there's a couple of things that may uh, in right now make Dash a lot easier to use and spend. And... It's all first off. There's this one app that I used for the longest time, and I still use called BitRefill. And BitRefill, you can use Lightning there, by the way, but you can't use Bitcoin Cash or some other things. And it, it's like a, the same old gift card service type thing as I've kind of used over the years, except you could buy it in precise amounts and it's a little bit faster. And also, you can pay that's why I pay my phone bill. You can re- top up your like prepaid phone bill or whatever. And there's this over the last year there's been this app called dash direct that does it's us only unlike bit Bit refill which is great internationally it's dash only and us only but it it significantly streamlines the user experience to where if you go anywhere over there to get like you know go to old navy let's say you want to buy your shirt whatever it's like 2569 is a total you just type in 2569 buy 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 there you go. And they scan the gift card and then there you go. Yes. Yeah, it's it's cool. smooth. I'd enough. like to try it. Yeah. It's smooth. Enough to where you can use it in person. Yeah. But the coolest part that just is now coming out is there's this virtual MasterCard in there that basically what it lets you do. And I didn't believe this was possible when I saw it talked about, but then, you know, I later, later became convinced that it's actually like a legal and legitimate thing. And I've used it a lot. Basically you can get a, prepaid mastercard a virtual card in the app that then you can load up to up to a thousand dollars worth or a total of a thousand dollars a day and you know whichever one is lesser I guess and then just spend it anywhere that Mastercard is accepted in the US and you don't have and so literally what you can do and up like this is the and if the online functionality has been there or the key in the card manually stuff has been there What's just coming out like right about around like now like slash when we're talking slash when this thing is released? Yeah, like, that's where it gets no, dicey. It'll be this week, so dicey next the, week. that's where yeah. it gets dicey about the exact dates and stuff. But I've seen people like load it under their Apple Watch through like Apple Pay, And yeah. you can do NFC, but basically you can go up to Whole Foods. You're, yeah. You know, I'm not actually, actually not going to use Whole Foods because you can't get gift cards for Whole Foods. Let's just say like an like like an independent coffee shop, like you know. Uh, whatever name one I, it doesn't matter. One of the so, ones in
0: the, well what so those crypto meetups in in Portsmouth do you yes. can, do you run those, or yes. is that yeah, okay, so we give, we've I've gone to one or two of them. Those mm-hmm. are coffee shops down there do they accept uh,
1: Well, a couple uh, the one that I did the crypto meetup was does accept crypto, including Dash directly, and the okay. owner holds it. Oh, that what's that a, one in Portsmouth called That's a Maison Navarre
0: Okay, there's also Maison Navarre.
1: Uh, there's also fresh press. And fresh house. They all take crypto directly. Okay. But let's talk about one that doesn't. Oh,
0: not not this press, the fresh you gotta get the f- yeah, pressed press around here using. But yeah. let's say pressed. I yeah. could
1: pay at pressed Okay. by all you have to do, you go up like what's your total, twenty-five eighty nine or whatever, and you load you quickly load twenty five eighty nine onto your card. You, you you spend the dash and it turns into twenty five eighty nine on your balance. NFC, beep, you pay. Yeah. And so it's basically a one app mass adoption solution hmm. that you know, even some I've talked to some like Bitcoin. And the app, is,
0: is it's Bit Refill? No,
1: this one's no, this, Dash Direct.
0: Dash Direct. Sorry, yeah, getting those confused. It's, it's like so, a-
1: <laughs> it's like it's like one app that lets you literally. And the 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 part that isn't kind of replicated elsewhere is. You don't have to give up custody of your money. And you can literally have your dash in private keys that no one can touch, right? It's in, it, the equivalent of yeah. cash in your pocket. Up until the last Up minute. until, you know, the last five seconds. Okay. Literally five and only in the exact amount that you need for the purchase. And you don't have to, it can be attached to a fictional name. It's not, it's not attached to right. your actual so identity. So literally
0: sucks it in and, okay. Yes. That's
1: so crazy. it's literally like the unbanked, living on crypto unbanked tool in one app, which did not exist until like the last few months. And it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and there's a few other services i'll have to um i think pay with moon might be i can't remember if moon pay or pay with moon is one of those things and there's some other one that are starting to do similar things with other cryptos but aren't nearly as advanced yet but so the good thing gives me like hope i mean right now we're using one app to just live on crypto but in like six months a year there might be many that you can do the same thing and yeah. so yeah that's it's just, it's to the point where I don't have to like, you don't have to train people like, oh no, you got to use this service. You got to use this. You just, you got to use this one service and you can live off crypto pretty much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the question I want to f- uh, follow back up on, which I'm afraid, uh, you know, I'm afraid there's going to be a half hour answer and I don't think we have the time to do it, yeah <laughs> but, we'll, we'll, but uh,
1: we'll shorten it if you Yeah.
0: Want. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, so we talk about layer mm-hmm. one scaling versus layer two scaling. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there are a lot of criticisms of layer one scaling as well. Like mm-hmm. if every transaction has to be owned by every node and at some point that's, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, 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 that's, uh, that's N squared. You know, if you, yeah. it's the number of nodes times the number of transactions is the number of data is the yeah. amount of data. And so, um, it is, do you think that's going to be a, a problem at some point? And, and how do you, um, how do you do, do you see that? Like, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, does, does a layer two still come in at some point or does, or is it more about the trade-offs between layer one and layer yeah. two? How, how do you look at this whole, whole issue? I, to,
1: I mean, I, depending on what you want to do, if you want to have a limited blockchain, I don't think you necessarily need a layer two. I do think a, a second layer, or at least the possibility for one is always a good idea. So there's a lot of, um, and I'm, you're starting to find this happening. So, Dash is release just for the dash example is releasing like a, a decentralized application layer and it's having a, a side chain. at least it a, a separate chain attached to it? That's much more lightweight, much more pruned, not nearly as final and strong and whatever, because it's all state transitions or data, data transactions. Like every time you update your Twitter bio, that's a little, you know, that's a little right. whatever. It's in
0: someone's database. Yeah. But
1: it's, it's a... and so that can be pruned. For example, you can just like, you know, cut that off and stuff. Um, and, for example, Bitcoin Cash has a side chain called Smart BCH, which is kind of like a, you know, Ethereum clone type deal, but it's like a data layer that bridges back to it. And that also very much, very fast, very lightweight, whatever prune transactions, not nearly, you don't care about decentralization as much. You don't care about um, permanence of each transaction as much as like the main chain. And, you know, obviously Bitcoin has like, financial transactions on layer one, but like usually big ones. And then lightning is like layer two, which is all the small payments and starting to do data things like Sphinx chat is like a messenger that uses lightning transactions and do stuff. So just about every single major system is starting to segregate into these two layers. It's just that like the, the choices of what you put on a layer is kind of different. And that's the thing is like the thing with layer one, the big trade-off that people like to say with like infinite scaling is it makes nodes expensive to run. And right. so basically it means there's going to be fewer people running a node and therefore it's probably going to be big companies, therefore probably going to be easier to censor kind of thing. That's sort of the argument. And on the other side, there's the argument of, well, maybe tech, you know, I forget which law, If there's a, someone's law for everything these days, but whoever's law it is, it says that like, the technology is going to like the technology, the like hardware and bandwidth and stuff grows at a certain rate. And basically the gamble oh, yeah. is so
0: whatever uh corollary to Moore, Moore's law. Yeah. Be. Pretty yeah. much
1: like that. Yeah. So like the the whole Moore's law thing of like, it's going to keep on growing fast enough to like, to where transactions, financial transactions don't like outpace it. Yeah. And so but the thing is, so if you have left, have everyone run their, node at home with Bitcoin, which, you know, I've done before. I've ran a lightning node until it became unprofitable to do so. And then when you have that, okay, but then if you can't, if everyone kind of can run their own node, but sort of doesn't, but then you need to use a large, well-funded hub, like a lightning hub, like say async is like the largest node on the network last I saw, or like all the exchanges run these big liquidity hubs, because you kind of need it to be smooth. Then you have that centralization vector there. You know, Um, I kind of like, I mean, obviously I am a little bit biased on this stuff, but like there's, I, I like the idea of incentivized infrastructure and like the dash system pays people to run nodes. So therefore you can afford a larger setup it's not like you're a hobbyist losing money running your own so so how does
0: it pay people to run nodes because they're not mining Mm -hmm. they're not actually they're not actually getting block rewards so what's the it's what's the incentive
1: so the the master node system and that's a term you hear a lot of times in crypto now but like dash was the first one to come up with it is basically like you run a high-powered node that does a bunch of this cool stuff you're paid like you're paid to run you basically don't get paid if you don't have certain specifications for performance and in order to have the privilege of doing this, you have to post, I guess, post bond or like prove ownership of, in Dash's case, like a thousand units of Dash to okay. show you have skin in the game. You can't Sybil attack the network. And it's kind of like, it's sort of like a proof of, like similar to proof of stake, except it's not the consensus layer. This is just a, just to run nodes and not to actually mine the blocks so Dash has miners too. right? And Decred has a hybrid system too with of, you know, staking and mining and there's a few other things that have a few other like um horizon or used to be called ZenCash, also has i believe my last i remember i believe it has mining but also has um secure nodes and master nodes two different incentivized node types but basically the outside capture concern is kind of you know done away with if the network pays for its own internal thing it's like right if you're paying for your own security and infrastructure as a network you don't have to worry that a company comes in from outside and kind of does that yeah and
0: i'm also wondering about what you said about like the censorship if there are a few nodes Mm -hmm. um i i don't know if it's the same thing as uh like social media censorship where you could Mm -hmm. have no you know where you know, maybe you want to say something, but anyone who's going to broadcast it, all you have to have is one person broadcast your transaction, and mm-hmm. then, uh, and then, and then you're fine. So it's more like, yeah, it's it's a little bit. I I feel like people have the social media censorship model, and I I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head here, and I'm i thinking a little differently. It might be harder to censor when all these transactions, a lot of these, you're not really going to be sure what they are, mm-hmm. uh, so it would be expensive to do so, and. Even so, like, even if all the major miners mm-hmm. are, are trying to censor you, y- you only need to get through one, yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's well,
1: the one reason why privacy is very important too, yeah. because then the, yeah, the yeah. information of who you're going to censor, it's already pseudonymous, but if you can start making those connections. Yeah, I agree. The thing is, that's one other reason I became a little bit more skeptical of like, you know, I think that having the lightning network is better than not having lightning or on bitcoin i don't want to get that twisted but yeah though no, i
0: i've used lightning network it's yeah. actually a lot of fun
1: the um liquidity model where you need liquidity to you don't just need the money to send you need liquidity to receive money like that whole thing makes it much harder to much easier to censor in my view because hmm. like i've run dozens of different kinds of cryptocurrency nodes like a library node i've run a Dash node, obviously Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash. I've run golden, which is some weird, like, you know, Dutch cryptocurrency. I don't know if it's going anywhere right now, but I've run so many different nodes. It's easy enough on like a laptop for a lot of these, obviously not in the future necessarily, but like, or get yourself a raspberry Pi. And so if someone's trying to censor you, I'll just run, let me just run to Best Buy, get some parts. Here we go. Boom. I got my node up. The problem is if someone's trying to censor you with the big liquidity network on the lightning network like the the difficulty first off, you have to close all your channels, which takes a lot of time, a lot of money, and all that kind of stuff, and then you've got to find a way to bootstrap yourself back into a different system through a different node, and it's yeah. easier to find individual nodes and censor them, and how do you get the liquidity? It just becomes a lot harder to just switch nodes Gotcha. Whereas, you know it's and so it's a easier censorship vector, and of course, the argument is, well, then you just pay a higher Bitcoin transaction fee and do it on chain, like yeah, it's true too, I guess, but yeah.
0: You know, it's a a different way of doing it. Um, it, it reminds me, and I don't know what to make of this. I'm just off the top of my Mm -hmm. head now. It kind of reminds me of like 10 years ago, how you would hear from companies like Google, like Mm -hmm. this whole, um, you know, uh, Google was very strongly supporting net neutrality. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time, one of their main arguments was if we lose net neutrality, Mm -hmm. then these, um, uh, you know these these carrier companies, you know, mm-hmm. are going to start censoring your political speech. That was like one of their main arguments, yeah. and that never happened on that layer, only on the Google layer itself. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, so funny. it's so interesting how that yeah, is funny, but it's also interesting how well there's an important question here and I'm not expecting you mm-hmm. to answer it. I'm just like, okay, now, mm-hmm. now I'm thinking like, why does censorship occur at at, at one layer versus another? And, um, because it's easier. Right. Because it's easier. Right. Exactly. And so you'd have to look at the, how could you have predicted that at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you have to look, well, how does Google work? How does, I don't know what are these companies that do like Verizon, at and control, yeah. um, the the, 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 um, and it's like, well, um, how do they work? And um, would there have been able to work forward and figure out what's going to happen? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I certainly couldn't have done it. But <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just, yeah. uh, I'm just th- starting to think along those those terms.
1: Yeah. So the the censorship question is always very interesting because obviously you have to think about first who has incentive to censor, mm. but then also you got to think about like the ease of doing so. And so for like censoring nodes and stuff. I think if it's easy enough, people go for that, right? If it's like you have 10 nodes and they're all like six are located in the U S and three are in Western Europe. And like one is like in Japan or something, let's just say, right. If it would be pretty easy to say, this person's a terrorist, 10 nodes that we know you may not broadcast transactions from this address. Right. Right. That should be pretty easy to do. Right. Now, if you have something like Bitcoin has like, 10,000, 20,000 nodes somewhere. It is a lot of nodes. Yeah. And, you know, there's big mining farms. In just also. about every country. Yeah, but there's there's mining. There's kind of miners everywhere a little bit. Or, you know, even like what Dash has like 4,200 master nodes and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. Like when you start to have that kind of scale, that doesn't become a problem. Then it becomes like, okay, well, if you have money from this address, because they then it becomes the privacy angle, right? Where it's like, okay, this is who this person is persona non grata. We're going to make it a crime to transact with this person. So even though that person can move, it's just like if you can find out that you've interacted with that, there could be legal repercussions and people in most of these countries wouldn't want to do it. And then, so the way you solve that then is having actual like privacy so you can kind of hide who they're from or like, you know, blind to that. Then the next level though is, so you have, um, there's a bunch of coins that have some sort of advanced privacy mechanisms, including on the Bitcoin layer itself, including Bitcoin Cash. It, a Fun fact, um, I'm probably going to release it tonight, but I did a, a podcast with the uh, Ronin Dojo people cool. who have like, their like full node Bitcoin like, software and hardware. And there's a thing called like, Whirlpool, which is a, a big coin join, like a big privacy pool in Bitcoin. And supposedly there's more Bitcoin in Whirlpool than the Lightning Network right now. So more people have it in their the mixing service than in, in Lightning because they're still using a lot of privacy on there. So that can help. The thing is um, there's a few – There's uh, then the problem becomes regulatory in terms of exchanges because Monero is, I think, probably unique in all the cryptocurrencies in that it is hardwired to never kind of be compliant really. Like as in it is almost like you can't use it transparently really. And so it makes it difficult to integrate into a lot of services because in order to communicate with the node, the node has to know certain information and stuff. It's been historically difficult, but more importantly, like Zcash, I would think again, I'm not an expert in the matter, but I think the Zcash probably has significantly more robust privacy techniques than Monero. However, Zcash is also able to be used completely transparently. Therefore, Highly regulated New York exchanges like Gemini will support Zcash, but Monero is kind of probably the most panned major cryptocurrency from that layer. So then it's like, well, if we can block you from buying it, then it's like, then we can kind of censor that. And the answer to that is DeFi and decentralized exchanges, because then you can't really block that level. Yeah. And then what's the answer? And then. Again, it's a constant. It's a constant snowball of censorship.
0: Yeah, we're getting pretty far, and there's already uh, almost uh, there's there's a lot of things for people to look up. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. uh, From this show, and you're giving me a lot of work to do on this show notes page. Uh, I'm I'm worried that's going to take me a lot of time. Uh, No, but let's um let's maybe finish off with with something like kind of forward looking. Maybe maybe you can give me something optimistic here. Although if you Mm want to go the pessimistic route, that's okay too. But where do you see our our crypto future lying? I mean, do I. I still think that this stuff is going to have you know. You talked about stuff we can do to to get on it today. You're in, you're on mm-hmm. a crypto standard today. But what happens when this is broadly used? Are we on the, the precipice of this at, 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 at some point in the next decade? And 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 what does that look like? What what changes are we going to see?
1: Yeah. So my, again, my, <laughs> it
0: could be a two-hour podcast just yeah, on this. Well, but, I, can, <laughs> I can
1: condense it in probably ten minutes or less. Let's see. Okay. okay. So. I think that within the next five... Because, you know, crypto goes into cycles and stuff. Yeah. And this cycle, we got so close to wide adoption. I mean, there's, like, a widely available app that lets anyone live on crypto already, as I just mentioned before with Dash right. Direct. But as far as AMC Theaters is taking it, as far as, like, a bunch of cities, including the city of Portsmouth, who were taking it for taxes and so, like, there's a bunch of strange... Like, we're so close to mass adoption, right? And yeah. I think that this operates... Uh, I'm not sure it's four year cycles, but market cycles were kind of on the down at the time of this podcast. I think in the next four or five years, when we're back up is going to be like maybe not everyone's using crypto, but like a good chunk is like a good twenty percent might be used. Like I would call like the the mass adoption phase where it starts yeah. to become widely adopted at that point. Because
0: they usually call that like the early majority. Yes, the, yeah. early
1: majority to where it's like it's kind of like where do you remember when like Apple Pay came out, and then like all, some people would be paying with Apple Pay places? It's, it's like the same thing where right. like most places you can probably pay with this. Not everywhere, and few people are using it. But you can probably do that.
0: Yeah, I had the other day. I, I had to do something at the uh, at the at the post office, and I mm-hmm. wasn't even thinking about it. I was like trying to pay. I was like boop, and they were like looked at me like. Sir, this is the post office. We don't do anything. Like, I, was good. Like, I was like, I was I was I'm sorry. I'm just mm-hmm. okay. I'll give you my credit card. Like, I do like, not yeah. have to be so. You know, it's funny. Multiple times, <laughs> I just wasn't even thinking.
1: Multiple times, a mutual friend of ours has had uh, has had me pay the bill because he forgot his wallet, and they and he asked them if they take Apple Pay, and they don't. Yeah, because New Hampshire is a little. I wouldn't say technologically backward, but it's it's not like downtown Manhattan you know it's much more rustic it's much more individual. I've been able to
0: use Apple Pay pretty much most oh, places well of course this is Salem and we're in the yeah, southern like, we're so. not like a yeah.
1: local like old school business won't right, it, right, it. right so that if Apple Pay is there you know crypto's going to get to Apple Pay in like the next five years or maybe okay. 10 years that's what I so That'll that's be interesting that's number one prediction is you're going to be able to spend like all your payment apps like your PayPal's and your cash app and all that kind of stuff are going to have crypto in there and you'll be able to spend it and you'll probably be able to spend raw crypto as well, like cash crypto, right? Digital cash, um, in the next five or so years. That's that's one prediction. Second prediction is just about everything we rely. Like, if you think about not having a, a internet presence, I think that in the next twenty years, not having a decentralized presence is going to be the same thing, with certain, you know, in a certain way. And what I mean by that is, like. I think most major cryptocurrency exchanges are just going to be become fiat front ends, as in they like to liaison to your bank account to get crypto. But all the crypto trading stuff is all going to be plug-and-play decentralized exchanges like, say, ThorChain. And it's already starting to happen a little bit in a few early adopters. But I think that just or an exchange has tons of crypto like on hand that they're using for this stuff. It's just going to go away and you'll be able to just access everything on DeFi indexes and stuff like that in the future. It's just in the very near future, like in the next few years, it's gonna be pretty big on that. We're also gonna see major, this might be closer to 10 years, I guess, but I'm guessing we'll see major things migrate to, like maybe major records keeping type things migrate to digital things, more specifically NFTs. So like for example, the last Super Bowl, they gave every, for every person, they gave them a commemorative NFT of their ticket. I mean, the Super Bowl is as big as you get. But like the next, I don't know if it's the next Super Bowl, but in five years, it's you're going to get your NFT ticket. And that's what you're going to use to actually get into the Super Bowl and then keep it on the way out. You know, And then people are going to, like they already sold a house as an NFT in Florida using that as like a, a digital record. We're going to have like decentralized gotcha. dis- digital records for a lot of things course still the old school nonsense too but like in the next five to again more like 10 years and the thing that most people aren't really predicting i think there, there's going to be some kind of a regulatory truce with crypto like i don't take the view that oh they're just gonna ban it it's like no no way there's there, there, mu-
0: there's two opposite views there's one it's gonna ban it and the other one i think on the other side is it's gonna, gonna compl- go away yeah, no. yeah. It gonna, so, so, you, so you think that there's some equilibrium point that that we can. Yeah, get...
1: it's kind of like, like Uber. Remember when Uber was just crashing in and just all regulate, like all the regulators yeah. were banning it, and finally they're just like, come on, can we just? They kind of got like a, they kind of worked it out. Yeah, it, it's, it's In some things. cases,
0: not as bad. Like in New York, they kind of took it away from us. Uh, yeah. they, we there's Uber in New York. You use Uber, but they kind of took away. The benefits of it yeah like like you still use it but it's like okay it used to be a lot cheaper it used to Mm -hmm. be a lot nicer and now it's like not as good as it once was a taxi now yeah yeah
1: Yeah, and so i think that we're going to have that with crypto where um i don't think this whole like you got to track every single transaction for capital gains nonsense is going to stay i think we're going to have like a de minimis exemption probably and i also think that like this whole you can't use crypto without kyc like the way they're starting to try to do now i don't think that's going to work either they're just going to find a way to just be like, look, pay your damn taxes on this stuff and we'll we'll make it easy for you. We're not going to be as annoying as we are now. And then they'll be like, a, well, I'd rather do that than live in fear. So, okay. yeah. Even though I could. And I think there's going to be like a, a streamlining of things and like all these weird financial regulations of like, oh, you have to be, this has to be registered as a security of this because like with DAOs and stuff. And it just, they're, they're going to have to be some kind of like the government's gonna have to like kind of like take what they can get because they want right. money, they don't want no money. We're seeing that with like weed and stuff, right? Where right. They, they want a piece of that weed money finally, and it's the yeah. same with crypto.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the music industry, like people are like, yeah. okay, we're never gonna pay for songs again because it's all digital. Well, no, like you know, yeah, they, they came up with some synthesis. I don't know if you want to say the truth, there was a lot of pain along the way, yeah, but that's uh, exactly but, it. It yeah.
1: came to the synthesis of before you have to play by the rules and then it just became so easy to not play by the rules like yeah. wire and all the other stuff like you know torrenting and, and now it's just like they're just like come on dude like just look five bucks a month netflix or whatever just you can watch whatever just just pay us something or spotify just yeah, just yeah. do listen to some ads you can do like there's going to be this coming together of everything. Yeah. That's going to
0: be fun. That's going to be fun. But I think what's going to be even more fun. And we talked Mm -hmm. about this a little bit before the show is like, if people are on a a hard money standard, Mm -hmm. how are, um, attitudes and behaviors going to change, uh, in terms of like consumer behavior. And I think that Mm -hmm. will be really interesting to, uh, to observe.
1: Yeah. The consumer behavior thing, like obviously, you know, like the super quick rundown of that is just, if you have, if you have a short time preference because your money goes down in value or it doesn't go up in value, you're going to spend a lot more crap. Whereas if you can save and if holding on to your money long term builds your wealth, if you, it's easier for the average person to do that, then when you do spend it, because saving is not not spending it, saving is spending it later. Right, right, and so it and all eventually gets, you get to later. Yeah, eventually you get to later. Eventually you spend it. You're going to get higher quality goods and services that people really want, which will cause some sectors of the economy to go away, but it'll be replaced by other ones. But uh, I just think that when you the big revolution when anyone can be paid from anywhere in the world, uh, I just think that it's going to have a great equalizing factor, not only globally, like poor and rich countries won't be as, se- as separated as they are today like you'll be able to hire like for example the probably one of the very best dash developers today is this guy called wisdom from nigeria he's this young nigerian kid and he's like making i don't know what he's making but i'm sure he's making the same as like the american developers and stuff and like isn't that great and so but also the equalizing of this employer employee relationship thing where it's like everyone's going to be kind of like a the good version of what an Uber driver was is in, you know, independent contractor of pick your own hours, but not in this way where it's semi exploitative, like with Uber, but like everyone's their own like entrepreneur sort of thing. I think it's going to move more in that direction where your boss telling you where you got to show up to work, except for certain meetings, like maybe once a month or something, what you, what your hours are, what you like all this kind of like this hierarchy of things I think is going to decentralize as well. And I think it's going to give a lot more people a lot more happiness.
0: Yeah, well, that, that would be great. I, I, I really hope we live in the world where, like, they don't make them mm-hmm. like they used to, uh, which has been a, a, a phrase probably for 100 years. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's all of a sudden becomes a good thing. Like, mm-hmm. now they used to make crap, and now they start making good quality things at last. I like, mean, have you seen food? Um, like, yeah. do
1: you see what people ate in the fifties, sixties and seventies and eighties? No. Who's Well, I mean... <laughs> like weird, like I, guess I... jello, a ham dessert thing growth, but like also think about the fast food boom and yeah. how now we're like, we're getting past like where everyone's eating McDonald's and stuff. It's like only yeah. some people are doing that and you know, there's higher quality, like there's the chains are higher quality and stuff. And it's just like, I think that we're seeing quality kind of come back in a lot of ways where everything else, you know. Disposable, crappy, whatever else—it's it's yeah. kind of coming full circle a little bit.
0: All right. Well, well, I hope so. That's that—that that, that's a, a really interesting idea. And if that starts to happen, and this show is still around, maybe, uh, maybe I'll, I'll refer back to it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah. So. Joel, thank you so much for coming on. We took a we took a lot of time. We had a lot of stuff to discuss. I feel like we could mm-hmm. uh, probably get more shows out of this, and maybe we will in the future. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, any last takeaways uh, before we head out? And uh, where can people find you online? Yeah, the
1: well, last takeaway is you can basically live. Not only can you live on crypto today, but you can start your own business today. You can run on decentralized infrastructure. You can kind of do everything yourself today like this isn't a time with the opportunity for unprecedented freedom and you better start taking advantage of it or you should early the earlier the better because you know the old world as it's dying off might take some victims with it just don't be one of those that's kind of my general thought um i'm on twitter at the desert links isn't desert is in hot place you know links is in kitty cat right not the desert linux right so okay that, the desert links on because Twitter.
0: you're from the or because you lived in the uh yeah southwest
1: that's kind of the yeah. the you know i was looking for a blog name back in 2011 okay. and that's just what it ended up being i'm like all right i'll keep keep that it's a fun moniker from the desert it's like the desert fox or Not whatever the but, desert anymore <laughs> yes which makes it funny and then i have a, a show called the digital cash network which is on youtube on odyssey which is the library-based thing it's on Anchor, you know Spotify, iTunes, all the other stuff. So those are the the two words, and there you go. You can just find anything. Feel free to reach out to me at any time,
0: and all of it will be on the show notes page. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to think of um, what the. uh, I, I will announce the, uh, uh, the, the the show notes page in about thirty seconds once the show ends, and then I'll come back on. But look look at all this look at all these notes I have that I'm going to have uh, yeah, to. It's a little You so have to a, pin it on lot. the wall there. Look at this one.
1: This yeah, one. maybe I'll just take a
0: snapshot of this and put the image on the show notes page. All yeah. right, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. All right, this is episode 224. So you can get all this information at localmaxradio.com 224, along with Joelle's YouTube and Odyssey pages, um, which I believe is called the Digital Cash Network. And uh, yes, I still have a lot of these links I have to put up on the show. So uh, yeah, show notes page once again, episode 224 uh, on localmaxradio.com. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show.